Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Entertainment of Excellence, the podcast where we talk about films, TV, all of it. Hi, I'm Ollie. I'm Tom. And I'm Ben. And today we're going to be discussing the 2007 film No Country for Old Men. This will contain spoilers. Okay, so I guess I'll give a brief plot summary. So it's about uh, a man called Llewellyn. What a silly name. Llewellyn Moss. And he basically stumbles across a drug deal gone bad. So there's a lot of dead people soon around in trucks. Uh, and he finds a lot of money in a suitcase. And it basically follows him trying to actually keep the money while also not dying as he's hunted down by this mysterious figure called Anton Sugar. Uh, Sugar. Shug- Anton Sugar, yeah. Uh, and there's also a sheriff, Ed Tom, after him, and a hitman, who I can't remember the name of, but he's played by Woody Harrelson, trying to kill Anton Sugar. And a lot of bad things happen, and a lot of people die. That's, that is what happens. That, that is what happens. What happens. Yeah. It, it's quite uh, slow-paced, but it uses that to its advantage with a lot of like one of the scenes the motel scene is uh, it's a slow paced scene but it's extremely tense like you can it's almost palpable the tension like I'm, I was just waiting for uh, Llewellyn to get killed or to kill um, Anton it's it's so like ooh, you know yeah. do you agree <laughs> I, yeah. I, I indeed do agree because there's actually there's not that much plot to say that it's a two-hour film and it sort of relies on that slow pace and that tension to i think that's what's most effective about it did yeah. you think it felt like two hours because I, I actually felt like it went by quite quickly yeah yeah well one of the things i said when we were watching it is it almost feels like it's going to come to the climax about halfway through the film yeah um, in that scene in the motel, as you were saying, but I don't know. I think in the last half an hour, for me at least, it sort of fizzled out a bit. And you mean when I he died? Know, yeah, I wasn't yeah. as engaged after sort of the drama started to be reduced. And I found it quite interesting that they kind of just kill Llewellyn, who if, who felt like the protagonist, kind of off screen, and about half an hour before the end, maybe twenty five minutes. But I think it's, it kind of goes in line with what it's trying to say about there being a, a lack of justice and fate will will always win in the end. Because there's this whole thing about Anton doing the coin toss to tell whether people will live or not, but it doesn't feel like it depends on the coin toss. It feels like whatever's going to happen will happen anyway. Mm. Yeah. Well, I thought that the coin toss would be quite big feature in it but it was only what was it used two times yes yeah i thought it would sort of run throughout and i mean it doesn't show him kill it shows him kill quite a few people maybe not as many as some sort of psychopaths in films but i thought that would be a reoccurring thing and obviously it's quite pivotal at the end but the only time you actually see the result of the time the coin for, uh, toss, he actually ends up not killing the person. Yeah. Yeah. You do, you will kind of expect him to see that a lot more in the film, definitely, because it felt like it was going to be his his big thing. And if it was in a shorter movie, I guess I'd understand that it wouldn't pay as much of a pivotal role, but. It was kind of odd seeing it just a couple of times. In the second one, you, you kind of assume what happens, but you don't know for certain. Yeah, I kind of liked it wasn't overused as a, a gimmick. Yeah. I mean, obviously it was used like a year later in The Dark Knight with Two-Face. 
but I think it makes sense. It's used in the point where you feel like the outcome is inevitable anyway. It's quite interesting. And also, I don't see him stopping in front of the Mexican gangsters to flip a coin before just shooting them down while they're standing there with submachine guns. So. Yeah, but I think one of the interesting things about him is he has a lot of sort of unique and distinguishable uh, things about him. So he has the coin toss. He has like a modified oxygen tank that he uses to basically break through locks. Um, and he's got quite that sort of that presence that, um, like enigmatic and he's there with his suppressed shotgun and sort of mm. in the last scene when you see him sitting in the dark I think a lot of the factors like that sort of enhance his uh, him feeling like an antagonist and I understand that like the the coin thing wouldn't always have worked too well but I think that's one of the factors that sort of identifies him yeah mm. i think he's kind of used as a symbol for the i don't know maybe how unjust fate feels to people because obviously it ends in uh ed tom resigning his post as a sheriff which means he feels like he can't enact justice anymore and it's kind of just showing this anton going around uh killing people like wherever for seemingly no reason and I, I don't know it it could just be that he's supposed to be this cool hitman but it also could be the Coen brothers maybe even angry at how things just seem to happen and there's no way to stop them yeah mm. but again it could also just be a cool character <laughs> I mean I, I guess it's probably going to be a bit of both because you're trying to well, they, the Coen brothers were trying to create a cool, recognisable character. But there was definitely, like, some messaging behind it and, yeah, like, a sense of anger at how uh, things are not decided, like, always rationally. It's just based more on, well, I guess, chance, and especially in this film, chance is, like, a big theme with like the coin toss and um just like the i mean he just stumbles across the money doesn't he yeah, it's not like yeah yeah but as well as chance i'd say something that links to the coin toss and him finding the bag of money is also a theme of like fate and inevitability that he's almost destined to die and he's just sort of delaying the inevitable from running Yes. Yeah. The hitman. Because he even uh, says, Anton even says, like, you can save your wife, but I'm not going to pretend that you will be able to live. Yeah. So it was kind of his fate all along that he was just going to get killed. And bear in mind, it just happened because he was out hunting deer or something. I don't actually know what it was. And then he just stumbled across this money. And it kind of just, from there, it was a downward spiral until his death. Yeah. And in a way, him running away from that uh, inevitable murder is almost seen as selfish because you have quite a lot of people along the way sort of getting caught in the crossfire. And as a re result of him, well, I guess you might think that if like you turned yourself in, then you might be treated with some justice, but I don't think that would happen in the case of uh, Sugar. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, I think, Woody Harrelson had... Well, his character had said that um, he he doesn't abide by conventional rules. He's very much his own man, and well, like if you turned yourself in, he would kill, still kill you for the inconvenience. I think was the line. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's definitely about um, delaying the inevitable with him, and also. It, I get the impression that he was, like, incredibly... Uh, well, maybe powerful, maybe, like, the the sense of power or control that he had was exaggerated through, like, the cinematography and everything, but you always felt that he was, like, this sort of unstoppable force. He got hit a couple of times, but, you know, he was able to walk away from it, and he felt like this 
oncoming danger that, like, when you think about it, is just one man with an oxygen tank and a coin and a, a silenced shotgun. He's really not the most imposing thing, but is the the sort of uh, air he carries around with him. Yeah, I mean, he's acted really well to come off with that imposing presence. And, I mean, there's also that line by Woody Harrelson that says, like, when um, Lou Allen says that he'd run into him, he's like, you, and you're still alive? <laughs> and the actor does really well. What's he called again? Um, oh. He should he should really be credited. I think he should be credited before Tommy Lee Jones, but um, I mean, he just does really well. He will always feel... He feels unpredictable, even though you know he's just going to kill everyone. And I don't know how he manages to do it. Uh, uh, Javier Bardem. Uh, probably butchered his name, but... He... I don't know. He, it's a really good performance. I mean, all the acting is very good. Josh Brolin kind of just trying to get away with whatever he can. And Tommy Lee Jones is usually pretty good at doing a kind of self-reflecting... Helps when he can. Old Sheriff. He's usually good at the older characters. Yeah. Well, I think that element of like, enigma and imposing threat is also something that I know um, the TV show Fargo, based on the Coen Brothers film. But in the first season of that, you have. Again. Uh, Malvo. Yeah. He's the similar sort of threatening character, which he. I don't know if it's just the way that the dialogue sort of kept to a minimal, which makes it more impactful when uh, you have these antagonists speaking because you, you're never too sure what's driving them and you don't, you don't really... You relate, you're sort of able to relate to them, but in a weird way because you're always scared of them. Yeah, the Coen brothers... Um very good at doing characters that are more symbols than characters if you know what i mean so yeah obviously yeah. with fargo and they they also really like their every well not necessarily always an everyman but a kind of normal person getting tangled up in something they don't properly understand so in fargo in the film as well as the uh series it's kind of like this normal guy that ends up killing someone or kidnapping someone i think in the film I, the film's a bit hazy from what i remember and in, like, the big Lebowski, they get caught up in a different Lebowski's debt and this gang uh, who's kidnapped his wife. Um, and in Burn After Reading as well, uh, these people just kind of stumble onto some CIA intelligence that isn't actually CIA intelligence. But that's kind of their thing. Uh, and they always do it really well, but seem to make it fresh every time, which is quite interesting. So this this is obviously one of their newer versions of that theme, but yeah, it's they do really well to make the kind of neo western thing come off. So you know some of the shots will be very reminiscent of Breaking Bad and Medical Saul if you've seen them, and it's slow pacing as well. And there's some great shots of the desert, uh, and it does really well doing kind of slow pace but really high tension scenes, which are a staple of uh, western films. Yeah, well, one of the things about fact that a lot of the main characters are sort of getting caught up in things outside of their control and things they're not about. That also links with fate because destined to fail because you know, um, Sugar, that's just what I'm to call him, he's obviously got a lot of experience in this field so you always, you always feel that they're destined to um, be caught or killed because uh, they've just stumbled across this money and they've stumbled across this uh, trade that they're not knowledgeable about themselves. Yeah. Even though you know it's going to go wrong, though, it doesn't stop it from... You're still rooting for them and you, th and you still think, oh, maybe there's a chance, maybe they're, they're going to get the coin flip right, you know, and so you are still rooting for them, which keeps the tense scenes tense, which is kind of makes me feel like that's why his death happened off-screen, because it's like, well, that's just how... How it is, you knew he was, yeah. was going to die, and I don't know. I mean, I I still would have liked to have seen him die, to be honest, because obviously those 
scenes were just really great and yeah. exhilarating. Well, I guess maybe the Coen brothers felt that couldn't sort of fulfil that. They, um, like, maybe they felt that they didn't have something unique to show. So they didn't just want to... They thought it would be more mysterious if they left it up to interpretation and they sort of didn't explicitly reveal how he died. Yeah. Mm. That, that makes sense, because so they do the same with his wife. Yeah, so it's Although, up to the viewer. It sounds like in the novel, it is just kind of said that she dies, or po- possibly, because from an analysis of the novel, it just said after murdering Cara Jean, I think she's called. So I assume... So you basically assume that she did murder him, and the the ending really plays on that lack of justice theme with not only the sheriff Ed Tom retiring, but also, uh, you know, at the end, I, I was even like, "Come on, just just let this guy die. He's so yeah. awful." And then he gets hit by a car, and you're like, "Yes, maybe," but he's still alive, and he just gets these kids to help help him, and he's you know broken his bone. And but he he just gets to walk away free and still no justice has happened. Uh, and I see why that ending could fall flat for some viewers, but mm. it does definitely play into that theme of lack of justice and the fact that almost the bad guys always triumph. I always like endings that are more open ended though, because you get to talk about them more. You know if. I mean, I, obviously there are some films that need the ending that they do, like, you know, Return of the Jedi, Luke has to defeat the Emperor, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, they're always going to throw the ring into the into uh, Mount Doom. But uh, films that have more open endings are quite interesting, or even endings that kind of happen and it is closed, but are kind of weird or have some new twists thrown in it. I do like ones that have discussion and present their themes well. <clears throat> Which relates to a recommendation I have, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, making tense scenes more tense, uh, why don't we talk about the music or lack of it? Uh, yeah. There seems to be a very minimal use of music. I I thought at the start, I was like, they're not using much music at all, and then realised at the end that I didn't remember any, but you said there was, and there was someone yeah. credited doing the music, so I assume there was some. <laughs> yeah, there was a little bit at the start when he was first discovering the money, I think, or was it before that? It was very early on. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, sure. It was just some very, very basic, like, ambient chords. So really nothing very much. The focus is very much on the the sound design, I guess, of the the environment. Um and I I guess that kind of lack of music did sort of help with like the the realism of it, I, I suppose. And especially I found the scene where um Ed Tom was talking um to, to that guy about like um, the hostility of the country and yeah everything that that felt a lot more impactful as, on me as a viewer without any music because you know the both of them were were really great actors and they kind of conveyed all of the emotion themselves rather than needing any music to yeah without like music telling you how to feel and it was. There are some films, I can't remember right now, but there are some films that are guilty of the actual monologue doesn't really, isn't really saying anything, but then the music is like really emotional yeah. and yeah. Uh, things. Bombastic. Yeah. It really helps with the, with the lack of music because the Coen brothers really like their, their, there's quite often they'll have long monologues in between, <laughs> or in the more serious ones, they'll have long monologues by characters. I think they're less serious ones, although they're usually some guy that represents an immortal being, if you look into it, but yeah. <laughs> in this one it is a more normal person. And they like the monologues talking that kind of describe the themes, but without a an obvious way, which is quite interesting. Yeah. Well, I think with a lot of like the monologues or anecdotes, well, especially near the end, as you say, if... The use of music could either make it a bit cliche or it could almost like as you say, tell you how to feel. Yeah. But it 
I think it's more gripping that there isn't any music because it's the minimalism and the realism of it. And yeah. it really helps you see the perspective of the characters. And it also helps enhance the like mystery of uh, Sugar because um, you're listening to every word he says and it's not getting drowned out by uh, music. I mean, I mean, it's ironic that a lot of it for me did well not it didn't get drowned out but just like the accents of all the americans sometimes a bit unclear yeah but i mean it's texan so they're always yeah. pretty difficult to yeah understand. but um, it's quite interesting thinking back on that first monologue because he talks about a guy who's uh like is herding cows or something it's really they use weird they call like steers or something they use weird words for Oh, livestock, right. but uh, and it talks about how he shoots it in the head, but the bullet glanced off and hit him in the shoulder, and that he can't move his arm. And he says that you know, even when it's man versus animal, and the man's got a gun, it's still unclear what will happen, which uh, is kind of about the chance of things. So you know, wh- whether there is fate of something is definite. Uh, but also it can just be random chance and it might be unfair for people. Yeah. There's also, and then the second monologue is also about, uh, un, it's also unfairness, but he's talking about how things have gone wrong, I believe, or things have changed from how they used to be. So there's also themes of nostalgia, you know, no country for old men, and how things have changed to the older generation. Uh, which is why I feel like they chose to do a Western film in a more modern setting. It was made in 2007, but set in 1980. So it's, you know, I'm talking about how things change, but, you know, really how they change. They seem to be very similar in uh, how they're done or how things are. Yeah. Yeah. You get to see, it's, it's still 1980, so it's not even present day and see... It's not too different, you know, the technology's not there, but it's not a completely unfamiliar society. Hmm. Yeah. Yes, um, well, what did you think of the cinematography? Uh, well, I, I mean, I thought it was great, because obviously, usually Western films have good cinematography with the nice wide shots of the desert, and also managed to keep it up close and intense for the action scenes as well. Yeah. And it's action scenes where it's really tense, but you also, the fact that I didn't really notice the editing throughout is a good thing, I feel. Yeah. Where it's nothing, nothing was jarring or out of place, and it was um, coherent. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely felt that with a lot of shots. There was... Like something subtle I just kind of picked up on was that a lot of the close-up shots, it didn't really feel like it was cutting to them. It felt like if you were a third person in the room, that's just where your eyes would be drawn to. So there wasn't like, like there was a cut, but you didn't really notice it. That makes sense. And also there was this one particular shot where um, Sugar was, oh, Shigar was. Uh, opening a lot of drawers um, in a chest of drawers in the room and it sort of slowly panned up which was, I don't know, it just was very subtle but yeah. I, I enjoyed the, the fact that it naturally followed it rather than uh, just staying static, like the little bit of motion sort of uh, drew more attention to it but in a coherent manner rather than uh, expecting you to your eyes to do the work I like the shot with, um, you know, when he's like transporting the money between the motel rooms and you sort of see that long mm. passage of uh, like looking into the air vent. Um, I think quite a lot of the times in films they sort of use motels as a centre of, I don't know, like killings or because like instability, I guess. Um, and I think quite a lot of the shots at that motel like also at the end when 
they go back and uh, it's like the crime scene and quite a lot of the times when you can see sugar like in the dark or clearing around the corner or something that yeah. definitely helps uh, like make it more threatening mm. and they also do well at the points that it's kind of from Llewellyn uh, the where even though you've seen him, he's still like an unknown evil force. So when he's got out of the motel, he's kind of getting shot at from unseen places, and and he then he gets into a truck and is also shot at, and you don't know where it's coming from, and it kind of heightens the tension in this unknown evil that's just kind of killing everything in its path. Even though you've seen him before, it's still, uh, you know, scary. Yeah. <laughs> Another one that comes to mind is when he's in the motel again. And he walks into the room, I think he shoots someone in the bed. Uh, then someone comes out with a machine gun, and then there's someone like in the bath, and sort of it looks like he's gonna he's gonna leave him and let him survive, but then he like closes the curtain and it, it's not a way of like justifying the killing because he's so ruthless that he, he doesn't mm. he, he doesn't need that to like filter it out but he still gives the other guy a hope and optimism but then there's like the splattering of the blood on the, the um yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 i like that it was that one really stuck with me it was it, quite like oh come on yeah it, it felt like it, it was giving him a bit of hope before he died and i don't you there's a couple ways you could interpret that. Like, you could interpret it as like he's sort of doing a bit of a nice thing, so like he's uh, allowing the other guy to breathe before he brutally murders him. Yeah. Or it could be one. Well, the way I th I first saw it when I first um, when it first appeared on screen was just he doesn't want the blood all over himself, so he's just pulling the curtain. But yeah. um, it is actually showed uh, there was another place where he shot. Woody Harrelson and the blood was pulling on the floor and then he moves his shoes away from it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> well, I think it's, it could partly be like preserving his image because yeah. when you have a lot of, well, like psychopaths, I guess, um, half of their th like threatening nature is their image and he has that very distinct look as we mentioned. So I guess he didn't want like pollution of that in any way mm. also um i think the thing about the scene where shoots him in the bath that is it's quite reflective of quite a lot of the times where the audience are given optimism like when you were saying we are rooting for him to die but then he always comes out on top so like the hope that's given to the guy in the bath who's just like to us, just an expendable, random character that we're only just introduced to a couple of seconds before he is killed, that is almost reflective of how the audience are meant to perceive, uh, like the the chance, but equally like the hope in the film. Yeah, like how you think you, even though you know Llewellyn's probably going to die, he might be able to get away with it. Yeah. It's sort of similar to how what that character experiences, and and also the destruction of that hope. Like even after Llewellyn dies, you hope maybe his wife will survive, and no, he goes and gets murdered too. And the kind of like the scene where Anton's like, "Oh, Sugar is like, oh, uh, I I made my word or something. I I I'd said I I gave him my word. It's like what is like I gave." your husband, my word, that I'd kill you. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what? There was something about the acting in that scene that kind of just created... It, well, well, deep down you knew she was going to die because it was sugar in the room, but you, the, the way it was presented, it kind of made you feel like, oh, is she going to survive? Is is he going to allow her to, to live? Um... And then obviously pulls out a coin toss, and you don't end up knowing if, well, knowing for certain if she lives or not. My my suspicion is he killed her because yeah. she was being defiant and was saying, "No, I'm not going to call it." 
But I mean, there's ambiguity there. But equally, I think one of the the key things about uh, the Coen Brothers showing us earlier in the film that he doesn't like say he could just somehow rig the coin flip or like the fact that it was shown someone actually surviving that process Mm. sort of I think that's interesting that he's not entirely ruthless and in a way that's the way he justifies um, this fate for these characters uh, just on chance and it might even suggest that he sees it as their fault whether they live or die because when he flips it he says um, it wouldn't be fair if I call it yeah yeah uh, and he and he seems to kind of be trying to push the blame onto them, even though I mean, it is really just up to him whether he kills them. Because he also says at the end, like, oh, they always say you don't have to do this. Like, well, why, why doesn't you know? You think why doesn't he ever listen to them? Why why does he feel like he has to do it? Yeah. What is he? Yeah. <laughs> Another impactful scene is um. Well, it, it pretty much immediately it's before this but it's the motel scene it's the like tracker on the money and not only when uh like sugar's in the car with the tracker but also like when he discovers the tracker for the first time uh you almost have that feeling like well if it would would you have taken the money do you think you were given that option if you just found two million well, and dollars, five dead bodies, and also a massive stash of heroin, <laughs> well, yeah. I think I'd probably call the police. Yeah, I guess that's yeah. a four million technically. If you took the money, and then you have the drugs too. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's to be fair, I'd quite difficult to sell a lot of drugs. Well, yeah, <laughs> two but... million worth of heroin. Probably take a bit of money, stash it somewhere, and then hand the rest in. Yeah, but I mean. It isn't, like that. <laughs> it isn't <laughs> until that moment where he actually looks through. Like, there could be a bomb in there or something. Well, uh, he does look... Yeah, yeah he looks at the glance. top layer, but... Yeah. Oh, true. Yeah. It could be, like, a, a trap, I guess. Yeah. And do you ever find the guy that got away? Cause, oh, oh, yeah, he finds him, like, lying dead by the tree, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> so, and you still have no idea how... The deal went wrong. Like, why did it kill everyone? And also, the sheriff says that it looks like two incidences. One where one was an execution, and the other one was like a scuffle between the two. scuffle. They shot each other yeah. <laughs> like in an all-out war. Yeah. So you you never really find out what's going on there. I don't know if that's just because they couldn't be bothered, or it's supposed to show like external forces outside of our power or what. <laughs> I, don't, I know it is a thing where people can look too deep into films, but I think it's always interesting to hear abstract interpretations of things, and I don't think there's anything wrong with taking whatever opinion you have out of art and stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, it's subjective, so... Yeah, screw you if you say that we're looking too deep into it. <laughs> a thousand different movies watched by a thousand different people. No, if a thousand different people watch the same movie, that's a thousand different movies. Sorry, well, Skoska. A modern take on... Well, what do you mean we're not experts and we shouldn't be talking about this? Shut up. <laughs> I'll have you know, we, we watch Stalker. We are incredible. <laughs> <laughs> we're now movie experts. You know what, I watched Joker and I liked it. That means that uh, you cannot disagree with me. <laughs> I have watched Star Wars, so I'm in on the pop culture. <laughs> um, th- this is technically a, a more mainstream film, although it didn't actually gross as much as I thought it would. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it didn't. E- it grossed, like, just over half of Avatar's budget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> it, it's fairly low budget, it's only $25 million, but they use the budget really well. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the, all the effects, you know, the violence and stuff, not that it's necessarily like a important major part, but, you know, it all looks good, and obviously the shots are all amazing, and they got the right actors. Yeah. So yeah. It's budget used well. Yeah. How would you say it compares to other Coen Brothers films from what you've watched? Um, so the Coen Brothers films for me sometimes become like a weird haze. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I, yeah. I've, now, I've seen The Big Lebowski twice. I watched it again recently and really enjoyed it on the second viewing. I can't remember if I liked it on the first one. Yeah, uh, we That's got... kind of different, but it still has the theme of people going, you know, too far into what they shouldn't. We all watched that originally the first time, and I, th- I think we only made it halfway through for whatever reason. Yeah, but we had to go home. Yeah, all we remember <laughs> is bowling. Yeah. <laughs> we, we were just like, we'll watch the second half uh, at some point, and then we never did. I mean... Is this, is it, would you say it's more comedic than this? I literally can't remember. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's, I can't remember the, the Big Lebowski is, is a comedy film with some great lines of dialogue. It's, it's got really witty dialogue, uh, you know, very funny moments, and again, great acting. The Coen brothers are very good at picking their actors. Uh, I also watched Burn After Reading, which to me is kind of a similar story, but with, you know, a different concept with the CIA and maybe less surreal dream sequences. Yeah. Um, what I, uh, the similar film to this by the Coen brothers I've seen, I guess I've seen two, uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is more recent, the I've that. Uh, anthology of Western stories, yeah. uh, which also somehow slow, slower paces, it's got, I think, similar cinematography. I watched it when it came out, and I think that was two years ago, so it's not as fresh in my mind, but that, that was quite a memorable one, and I did like most of them. Well... Yeah, I mean, the thing with anthologies, obviously, is that some are stronger than the other. I th- I seem to remember the last one not being as compelling. I quite like the last one, the one where they're on the coach and they yeah, kind of turn up to a house of death or something. I wasn't a massive fan of that one, but overall, I enjoyed it. But as you say, I don't know what it is about the films, but you don't forget about them, but it's just sort of... Yeah, I mean, far the details. Yeah. The one that I think of is Hudsucker Proxy, although that was like three or four years ago I saw that, and also Fargo, which I think I only really watched last year, but I, I don't remember much of it. I mean, I, I remember uh, more about the series, which I think I actually watched before the film. Um, it's like I can never... I, I always remember that in one of them, fish fall out of the sky, and I can't remember if it's the film or the TV series. Um <laughs> So that's that kind of one that's hazy, but I did enjoy the film. I remember enjoying it. I yeah. just can't remember what happened. Yeah. We, we promise we're not on drugs when we're watching these films. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the nature of I the I think a lot direction. of people are, but... Yeah. I can't remember anything about the Hudsucker proxy, apart from... Time. Hula hoops jumping out of a building. I, and... I couldn't even remember the hula hoops. Well, that's, <laughs> more, that's the main... That's the more, more than the big Lebowski. I though, literally like. just <laughs> remember him holding a hula hoop. I remember... Oh, yeah, true. Now I think about it. <laughs> The, I just literally remember like that scene where um, the protagonist is just like falling off a building and then time stops. Yeah, because Morgan Freeman holds a clock hand. If I'm being honest, moving. until you mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, I forgot it even existed. Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah I, I mean, but I have seen a similar Coen Brothers film to this, True Grit, which is actually and like a Western, you know, set in around the civil war i don't know if it's during the american civil war but it's that kind of same era of western films it's actually a remake of a, like a 60s western film but that again has really good direction and has a slow pace with some exciting scenes but i think i actually enjoyed no country for all men more i think it had some more tension and things maybe uh although true grit does have if you have to more like kind of likeable characters it's a bit more comedic but i'm not saying it's a comedy i just mean it's got some you know you you are more likely to laugh at true grit than this yeah but that yeah. doesn't mean that true grit is a comedy i don't really know when you'd be laughing in this film there, there, i'm sure there were a couple, moments, a couple but i can't actually but, remember what yeah, they were no. <laughs> it's already fading <laughs> no, no. no but i actually remember the plot of this although like you the only thing I could remember about the Big Lebowski before watching it was him like bowling. dreaming bowling. about big bowling balls and like new women <laughs> okay. or something. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen um? Is it is it Oh Brother Where Art That or is that Coen Brothers? I don't I know. Watched I, I, it. It's, it's on, on my list. It's on Netflix. I think that's like isn't that meant to be an adaption of the Odyssey or something? Uh, I can't remember. I I added it to my list because thought it looked interesting. Sure I, didn't, I didn't notice it if it was Coen Brothers. Maybe we can look it up. Yeah. Um, I know it's a comedy, and I know it's an adaptation of something quite old and reimagined. Fingers crossed, otherwise... I'm something sure. new. <laughs> What's it called? Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Look. 
Um, what, 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 uh, guess what? It is. It is a Kevin Willis film. Well done, Ollie. Let's go. And not me. Escape from prison and find a treasure. Ulysses is better. Oh, so yes, it looks like it is. There you go. There's, there's quite a lot of their films on like Netflix and yeah. yeah, they've got a few, but not all. It seems to be a weird rotation. Like I don't think Fargo's on there anymore. No. Um, and it is based on the Odyssey. I think it's got Odyssey's in, but it could be that other one. What's the other one called? There's like the Odyssey and then the other one. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, the Iliad. Yes, the Iliad. There you go. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed just talking about things you don't know about there. <laughs> <laughs> no, we know about them. Come on. Yeah, we, we we've all seen that film. Which one? Yeah. Where are they? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But we've yeah. forgotten everything about it. Like, it's on my list. Mm, I promise. Or the list of films you've seen? No. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah, because I yeah, didn't yeah, yeah, see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You've seen yeah. it. It's list of films I've seen, but I want to watch again for no yeah, reason. Just because mm. you've forgotten about them, because yeah. it's a comb this film. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? what? What are we talking about this episode again? <laughs> I think it's, it's a film by the Coen Brothers. Some of those films are like really hazy, then you rewatch it and it's all like really vivid and you remember loads of lines of dialogue. And that's that's how I've got for the big Lebowski, of like the carpet tying the room together and that's just like your opinion, man, and the like the it lines? Would, the bowling club like stand off against three people from a gang and that's when one of them dies, and just, anyway, bro, just to clarify, we we do enjoy these films. I know this may not be the most flattering review. That we <laughs> yeah. just forget them like a couple of weeks after watching them, but it, it's just odd. Maybe yeah. it's some kind of Coen Brothers conspiracy. Or well, quick, let's let's give it a rating before we forget. Oh, oh yeah, before <laughs> we forget about it. Yeah, um, I mean, it's definitely very enjoyable. If. Mm. You got to. I mean, I guess you got to be okay with slower paces, but it works to its advantage, in my opinion. Some great shots and good acting. Yeah. Possible discussion of things on fate. Uh, we're just looking at the episode list now to see if I can rank it according to other things. Um, I guess I'd give it. Yeah, maybe a seven point seven. Ooh. I kind of think it's. Me. Yeah. Think. Obviously, we've been talking about it for like almost forty-five minutes, but I don't think it's quite as got has as much to say as some of the other ones higher up on that list. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I'd probably give it. I think it's a bit better than Hollywood, but not quite as good as you'll never really hear. I'll I'll just discard Psychoville. So <laughs> I'll give it a seven point four. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, I was probably going to go somewhere similar. I'll go 7.4. Well, not the lowest one. I mean, you technically are, but still. (laughs) I'm back at the highest rating. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Nice. And we'll calculate that for all you maths fans right now. Maybe I could do it in my head, but I cannot be bothered. No. (laughs) 2.5 divided by 3. Anyone know what that is? 7.3? 7.3? No, that can't be right. <laughs> I, I've, I've done it completely wrong. Seven, plus 7.5. Oh, 7.5, that makes sense. Oh, that's nice. That will take Psychoville's place, because yeah. Psychoville was done in the olden days. We might have an episode evaluating those yeah, sometime we've soon. Yeah, got a couple of things planned soon. Yeah, if we hit 10 subscribers on YouTube. Oh, don't, be, on... don't be so unrealistic, come on. <laughs> We've been on 9 subscribers for like... Two years. <laughs> Two years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, it's great. We had more listeners when we didn't make any episodes. I know, it's so sad. I, I, I've been thinking if we should submit a question to Buzzsprout's Q&A th- podcast of whether we should relaunch, I don't know. I don't know if our current listeners would like that, the, all three of you. Well, eight of you. <laughs> oh, oh, eight of you? Yeah, that's gone down by three. It's <laughs> gone down no. by three. Oh, Thank to you. be fair, though, we did skip out a week, so maybe, yes. maybe they have... Yeah, sorry about we that. Apologize. We apologise. We apologise. Also, apologise... Really professional. Yeah. Also, apologise for the lack of clips recently, because the video editing programme I used decided to kick me out and uh, not allow me to continue using it despite having paid for it for a year that's fun tried using cu- uh, customer service it didn't happen so learning a new one uh just for might, you might yeah just for you you specifically <laughs> you you the listener right now 
love you. <laughs> we, um, so we don't have any submission spotlight um, submissions this week. Um, and we don't have any in the works, unfortunately. Um, so just if you are a creator and you have any form of entertainment that's preferably appropriate, um, can you please send it in? We'd love to hear from you and we'll dedicate a short segment to... Maybe even this. just write a short story specifically for us to critique write it. Write a fan about fiction about, about us. Yeah. Write a, go on, write a fan fiction about Tom, Ben and Ollie and we will... Uh, Tom. Tom. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it's pronounced Tom, actually. Silent H. Depending on how explicit it is, we will you, read it you, out on the podcast. You, the writer, can decide whether, how it's pronounced. Yes, it's either Tom or Thom. Uh, so why don't you just write a short story anyway and we'll critique it just for fun. If it's good, we'll say it's good. If it's bad, we'll probably still say it's good so you don't get annoyed at us. Or we'll also <laughs> constructive criticism. <laughs> yeah, so do that. Uh, and talking about things that we think are good Ooh, segue recommendations time well, i have three <laughs> well um i have a few but i think i'm like well I think I, i'm I, just gonna do one i'm gonna I've save got, one i've got quite a lot but i want to save at least one for next week yeah so i'm saving got three you want to save no, no, no i've got three to do right now and i've got even more all right well, you, last then you, no we'll, we'll, we'll alternate you start okay oh, yeah. so the first one is a French Netflix original film, which is animated, called I Lost My Body. Uh, it's only an hour and 20 minutes, and I think it came out 2019. It won the Audience Award at Cannes Film Festival, I think. Don't quote me on that. Uh, and it's beautiful animation, kind of semi-3D and also hand-drawn 2D. And it follows a severed hand trying to find its body, and also the original owner of the hand uh, in his like how he leads up to his hand being cut off and it's kind of like semi love story it talks about themes of fate and it's got a really cathartic ending uh which is open-ended and is kind of talking about choosing your own free will uh and it's really good uh it is a foreign film so you're gonna have to read subtitles and i think it's actually by the writer of amelie that other french film but there isn't actually that much dialogue in it so you've not got too much reading to do uh, and the soundtrack's great, narration's great, story's great. So yeah, watch it. And it's only an hour and twenty minutes. I, I watched it twice in a week. So do it. Yeah, I've been interested in that for a while. So no reason to not check it out. It's pretty weird, but yeah, watch it. All right. See when they go next. Sure. So I'm recommending <clears throat> some music. It's an album called Jesse Volume Three, which is spelled D G. This. D-J-E-S-S-E by Jacob Collier. It came out today. Oh, Jacob Collier is cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's hard to describe in terms of genre because it's sort of like a, ma- a mashup of everything from like classic 60s soul to like modern hip-hop and R&B, but like with a huge sound space of electronica and... He, Millions of harmonies. Yeah, he's known for his um, use of quite complex music theory in his his um, songs. So there are the, the vo- there are the vocals that are comprised of like twenty different versions of him singing harmonies, and the, the one of my my favorite song, which is called "All I Need," is oh, that's good. <laughs> it's, it modulates between keys every two bars in the. Uh, in the intro, and it does it seamlessly. So it's not, it's not like a pretentious listen in that it's very complex and you'll get put off. But it's all very um, natural. It's still catchy. Yeah, yeah, and um, and even at its most basic level, it features some <clears throat> popular R and B artists such as Daniel Caesar um, and Mahalia and the it's you can listen to it just no matter who you are and you'll probably enjoy it the there it's not all constant bangers um i'd say the best songs were probably released as singles but it's well worth a listen and while you're at it you can check out volume one and volume two which are 
very different that one of them's more jazz inspired and one of them's like a sort of orchestral one it's very much about the use of space and uh, how that translates into music theory and stuff so Joker Collier, Jesse Volume 3 back to Tom back to me okay <laughs> second recommendation uh, it's a pretty big film but uh, although it'd come out when I thought both my parents would have seen it, they hadn't, so maybe it's not as big as I thought. Um, it's called American History X. It follows uh, Edward Norton, who's an amazing actor, and I always want to see more things. Um, he is a reformed neo-Nazi, and he's trying to stop his uh, younger brother going down the same path. And it kind of half follows the modern day, and then half is flashbacks shot in black and white which looks really good and it deals with themes of redemption but also you know you can't just get off consequence free even if you do redeem yourself uh, how people fall into this uh, you know why do people become neo-nazis uh, and kind of talks about hate we're getting more hate and you know no sides are fully pure or whatever it, you know violence makes more violence uh is really important film i think you might not uh enjoy it say because there's some disturbing scenes but um it's definitely well worth a watch so also watch american history x nice uh, my recommendation isn't something i've it's a book and what? it's a dystopian book which seems to be Ooh. like all the books i've recommended so far but um <laughs> It's not one I've read recently, so bear with me, but it's, it, I chose it because it's also written by Cormac McCarthy, who actually Ooh. wrote the novel that inspired No Country Ooh. for Old Men. Well done. And <laughs> it's The Road. It's quite a well-known book. Um, basically, it follows... A, and it's in, set in America, where um, basically society is just entirely dysfunctional, and there's uh, the only remaining survivors are either like serial killers, um, people that uh, like exploit and burgle the travellers on the roads, or the travellers themselves. And uh, it follows like a father and his son um, on this journey to, well, like it's never really clear where they're going, but somewhere brighter, let's say. And it's written in an interesting style because it doesn't have any chapters and it doesn't have any punctuation. Well, it has like obviously full stops and stuff, but none of the dialogue is punctuated. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of it consists of dialogue between the father and the son. Interestingly, apparently um, Cormac McCarthy, who wrote it, actually used quite a lot of the dialogue between himself and his own son as inspiration for it and just because of that style it i think basically it's meant to represent a society that is having to resort to the bare basics of survival and therefore any sort of flowery language or punctuation is entirely omitted and it's just stripped down to the basics and that definitely it it does definitely help it like flow and it's quite an easy read to say that it's got such a uh well like it's set in a society where like it's completely dysfunctional and it's almost unimaginable in a current context but yeah so i'd recommend that the road really really uh, okay, my final recommendation, which is also probably pretty big. Uh, it's a Studio Ghibli film, uh, Princess Mononoke, which is kind of about, like, this boy who's trying to save both the forest from being destroyed and also the city which is being attacked by the forest that doesn't sound like it makes any sense because i've not told you what genre it is it is fantasy so but it's more japanese fantasy which is means that it, you get like all the cool fantasy elements of weird creatures and uh 
cool fight scenes and stuff like that, but kind of more interesting and different to stuff you've seen. So there's a lot more to do with uh, spiritual elements from uh, Japanese culture. So kind of little cute tree spirits and there's the spirit of the forest, which is like this massive lumbering thing at night, which uh, people are trying to get the head of so they can become immortal. Uh, and it, it doesn't just have the kind of standard what you'd think it was where man should stop developing and just live in the forest and hug trees. It, it does have a bit more of a complex message and it's up to interpretation. So it's quite interesting. And obviously the animation is beautiful, as with all Studio Ghibli films. Um, it's got great characters and just, even you know, there's some of the monsters are just cool. It's actually got quite good fight scenes. And... It is fairly long. It's two hours and fifteen minutes, but uh, it it never really drags, so it doesn't to me. And it's just really enjoyable while also having that kind of man and nature uh, theme going on. So it's worth a watch, especially if you like Japanese stuff. But even if you don't, you should watch it as well. Animation. It is an animation, yeah. Well, it's, it's on Netflix, Netflix if you want to watch it. To a expand our animation category we've got yeah. one film currently <laughs> on the podcast I'm, I'm trying to go through all the Studio Ghibli films so I don't know but I don't know if you want to do one for the podcast <gasps> I don't know what, what would be a good one to do I can have a look the one that I really want to watch is like one of the only ones that isn't on Netflix because I thought that Netflix got all the Studio Ghibli films but like the one that well, I mean, Spirited Away won a load of awards, but the other critically acclaimed one called Grave of the Fireflies isn't on there, and it's really sad that it's not on there. It's also supposed to be a really sad film, but I, uh, so I really want to watch that, and it's not on Netflix, so grr, screw you, Netflix. I mean, you could buy the DVD. No. <laughs> Who wants to do that? You wouldn't buy a DVD. <laughs> you wouldn't buy a car. <laughs> um, Five recommendations there. Yeah. yeah, and we're still under an hour. Um, Go us. Groovy. Well, we were talking about animation films, um, and we, we need more of our repertoire. So um, if, if you can think of any animation films, or just films in general you'd like us to watch, you can contact us and we'll... Uh, have a look. We'll fulfill your wishes. Please don't say something like Secret Life of Pets. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just like give that a passive aggressive minus one. <laughs> yeah. No, we don't want to watch that. Don't recommend like Despicable Me 3 or any of them. Yeah, we'd prefer like. Please, not please say, please yeah. say cool animation I mean, film. I mean, if you say Wally, I'm fine watching Wally again. I don't mind. Shrek. <laughs> and when I say Secret Life of Pets. That'll be me having to watch that again because I saw it in the cinema. At <laughs> yeah, yeah but have you seen Secret Life of Pets too? I can't say I have. No, I can't say I have. <laughs> Thankfully, and if you send in, no. if you send in minions, then there won't be an entertainment Jackson's podcast. <laughs> if if you send in minions, you're gonna have to unsubscribe. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> We'll block you though. Speaking of which, subscribe to our YouTube channel if you are watching us there and you like what we do. Because followers on social media are nice, and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Eerie Podcast. And all podcast platforms, or but, at least uh, most. <laughs> but YouTube subscribers are cool, because when we get to the 50, or 50 listeners on uh, podcast platforms, we are going to do a special Blade Runner 2049 episode, which is one of the lost ones from... 2018. Yes. How exciting. How very exciting. I'm sure a you'd all love to know that. A sequel to the Blade Runner episode, finally. We'll, we'll, we'll Featuring invite, Thomas. We'll even invite Thomas back on as a special guest. <laughs> maybe, maybe it will be like Blade Runner 2049 itself, a sequel that no one wanted but is surprisingly good. Oh, <laughs> uh, excuse me, are you giving spoilers? Uh, maybe. Uh, maybe uh, maybe you play special guests. Do you think we'll uh, talk sorry. about it for longer than 15 minutes? Unlike yeah, we need to the talk about the five, five quizzes. 
Anyway, if, if, if you want to get that reference, you can go listen to our older episodes. Don't, don't do that. Don't listen to Ben. Start episode five. No. Oh, yeah. Start episode five. Is that the quiet place one? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Start episode five. Yeah. We we might have something in store regarding the older episodes, and Ooh. so keep keep your eyes open. Um, won't be long before we're on twenty five episodes, which will be a pretty cool milestone. Quarter quell. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can subscribe to us here on YouTube or on most podcast platforms. Um, <laughs> you can find us on our website, entertainmentspectacles.weebly.com. And that is cool because we have a mailing list that which you can subscribe to. And um, when you subscribe to that, you'll have access to our schedule, so you know what we're doing up to like a month in advance. We'll also be creating a list of all recommendations with links to buy them or view them or stream them or whatever. Um, and it's just a cool way to keep in contact. So do that. Um, not much else to say. Thanks for listening. All right, see you. All right, see you. Yeah, that's what's doing.